0: 10. Hydrogen so burnoff igniters initiate.
1: Seven, six, five, four stage engine start. Three, two, one, boosters in ignition, and lift off of Artemis 1. We rise together back to the moon and beyond.
0: 28 miles per hour. Very good, co- good control on the roll from teams of Mission Control Houston. All good calls so far. Now 30 seconds into the flight markless one.
2: Welcome to Voice Print Identification. It's
3: 2001 A Space Policy. I'm Brad. And this is Wes. Thank you. You are cleared through voice print identification. Open the pod bay doors, please Episode nine, if you can believe it. I can't believe it. Technically ten, I guess, including the intro. So we've made it to our, our tenth episode. Ooh. Congratulations to exactly. us. And we're only we're only licking the surface like a, a
1: small kitten at a giant milk bowl. Well, we're not trying to savor the flavor. It, there's just so much content to get through and it's gonna take us a long time to really uh, you know, get through all the meat. There's a lot of meat, several potatoes, well balanced meal in front
3: of us. But
1: first, Well, my Kubrick news this week actually focuses on a local story in our own personal Tri-Cities. We have a monolith. This is created by a metalsmith in the local area, and it debuted, I think, in 2019 um, originally, and mysteriously vanished, much like the uh, the more nationwide known monolith that was in Was it Arizona? I want to say Arizona, maybe New Mexico. Uh, Maybe New Mexico, but yeah, it was there and gone in uh, just a brief period of time. This one, maybe a little more of a commercial advertisement, so to speak, for his metalworking shop, but still, nice to see we've got some local artisans doing the good work.
3: And I think he said that it's available if you want to put it in front of your own business or raise a smile at your own gathering. He said it's available to reserve now, so book
1: it for... The next Elk's Lodge meeting. Probably doesn't include the higher sentient functionality that the original monolith had, but that's okay. It's more about the aesthetic, really. Mind-bending alterations not included.
2: (laughs) Uh, Did they uh, give you any idea in Denver about uh, what the job entails? Only in a very general way. Well, the winners can be fantastically cruel. And the basic idea is to, to cope with the very costly damage and depreciation which can occur. And this consists mainly of running the boiler, heating different parts of the hotel on a daily rotating basis, repairing damage as it occurs, and doing repairs so that the elements can't get a foothold. Well, that sounds fine to me. Mm. Physically, it's, it's not a very demanding job. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is a uh, tremendous sense of isolation. Well, that just happens to be exactly what I'm looking for. I'm, uh, I'm outlining a new writing project and uh, five months of peace is just what I want. That's very good, Jack. Because uh, for some people, uh, solitude and isolation can of itself become a problem not for me how about your wife and son how do you think they'll take to it they'll love it right stanley has a
1: a hotel apparently oh really um and i think in which they have thematic elements from his film built in it's a cutlery free zone though this hotel this uh this article was behind the paywall uh-huh. <laughs> and I couldn't quite get all the juicy details it just came out yesterday so I'm sure there'll be some pirate news source that'll give us some more details yeah. but I think from what I could grasp there were some um, maybe some sinister hotel inspired uh uh-huh. huh
3: did you ever watch that documentary, Room 237? Is that the one that has, like a, has a keyhole? The Shining, on yeah. On like the cover or whatever? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, it's like all the different
1: theories of hidden meanings and everything. I mean, it is absolutely just psychologically chock full of wild imagery
3: yeah it's it's fertile ground for anyone who wants to go down that route and the, it's a it's a middle school
1: english teacher's dreamland <laughs> <laughs> absolutely if only they could show the shining english middle which school they family. are totally not ready for but you know <laughs> like well the color red in this scene student stands for the hatred of one's father <laughs> <laughs>
3: what did you learn in school today <laughs>
1: We're talking about these kids in the 1800s, they're probably like, oh yeah, no, I've seen The Shining twice. (laughs) Exactly. It's not scary enough. (laughs)
3: The horror movie is so much about aesthetic. I mean it's the ultimate proving ground for aesthetics. It's the perfect opportunity. The scene is really like the, one of the main characters Mm -hmm. every time. Yorgos Lanthimos is doing that a lot these days with his work. Also, I can't think of him, the guy, his name is the guy who did the Vavitch and the Lighthouse. Oh! Whatever his name is.
1: Indeed.
3: And then Jane Campion, who's you know, Campion's been champion the last year or so with uh, her home run of The Power of the Dog with Benedict Cumberbatch, a Western with an incredibly heavy, creeping anxiety aesthetic. Well, so, like, um, here's my question about the hotel. Is there, are there specific travel accommodations you know, do they do they provide you with an alternative way to get
1: there other than flying in traditional? Pubertals? I wish I knew because he is absolutely terrified of flying, even uh, after having mastered a pilot's license of his own. And we just can't get across the states fast enough to get to this place. So in fact i don't know if you've heard but they're going to bring supersonic flight back for commercial are they airlines. Really? yes Aww. so we'll have our own concord hey. uh, that we'll be able to potentially fly on Let's that's if, amazing that would be very cool we can take a inaugural trip together maybe that would be fantastic
3: <laughs> get there before we la- or ah. yeah get there before we take off right yeah. absolutely but um
1: that yeah all that to say i don't know because <laughs> This entire article is behind the paywall. Behind the paywall. I couldn't see. I couldn't see anything past the uh, first three sentences.
3: See, it's bad when like the clickbait is behind the paywall. If this hotel doesn't have an animatronic Scatman Crothers that's interactive with uh, with regenerative, you're going to leave a four star review. Absolutely
1: <laughs> yeah. not a five star. No. We're not talking four out of four. Four out of five.
3: It's a Scatman factor.
2: <laughs> this is the kitchen, huh? Yeah, this is it. How do you like it, Danny? Is it big enough for you? Yeah. It's the best place I've ever seen. <laughs> you like lamb, Doc? No. You don't? Well, what's your favorite food then? French fries and ketchup. <laughs> well, I think we can manage that too, Doc. Come along now about watch your step.
1: The Stanley Hotel is what they named... What they renamed the hotel that they shot The Shining at. This is great. Oh, the bathroom aesthetic is spot on. Oh, yes. It is that faded kind of like teal green, that wonderful, wonderful 70s burnt yellow orange Mm -hmm. fringe. Fantastic. Floor tile. The entire room is modeled after room 237. Whoa everything I wonder this how far the, the bathroom the bedroom was recreated after the Grady twins bedroom where you see that, that ghost uh, where the ghost sisters appear how crazy I wouldn't sleep yeah exactly I wouldn't sleep what <laughs> <laughs> would where you go to not to sleep
2: Play with us. Come and play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever.
1: Or you could just take the tour and it's only $30 a person. Okay, and go have nightmares at home. Yeah, I think I'd rather do that. Go home, have my own nightmares.
3: But yeah, yeah that sounds fantastic. You escape. The problem is is that when you try to check out in the middle of the night and there's a bunch of people with pig heads on. Ooh. Or,
1: or a bartender that keeps feeding you ghost drinks. Yeah. You can't quite get
3: in them. Nice thing about ghost drinks
1: is the hangover's not real. Sure. The drunk is not
3: real either. Would <laughs> 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 that it were always so.
2: Hi, Lloyd. Been away, but now I'm back. Good evening, Mr. Torrance. It's good to see you. It's good to be back, Lloyd. What let be so? hair of the dog that bit me. Bourbon on the rocks. That'll do it.
3: So, you were around for Post
0: Shining? Yeah. No, so, a was little that? Bit, only a little bit. So, was that a painful experience with all the, without the. Ex- well, there was this thing, you know, because he'd moved house too. The saying there was, you know, at this house, no one can hear you scream because <laughs> it was set way back off the road. And once you, and it's true, once you went in there, you kind of felt the doors close behind you, mm. you know, because you didn't know when you were going to get out.
3: Also, since the since the last time we recorded, we're mourning the death of Leon Vitali, an integral part of Kubrick's career from Barry Lyndon on. You can't say anything other than integral because he really could not, literally, have done what he did without the man. A force of nature. A force of nature, an incredible soul, and an indomitable spirit, and a man who, um, who sacrificed. Uh, the spotlight which he surely would have gotten as an actor uh, to instead be be in service to the art of another which is a pretty incredible art in and of itself
1: but his legacy will live on
3: absolutely and his artistic choices remain in all of those movies for everything that he was a part of so parting glass to leon Vitali. pour one out for leon
0: I'd seen 2001 when I was still at drama school and then I saw Clockwork Orange just after I left drama school Mm -hmm. and it was the first time in my life I was ever really conscious of looking at something and thinking I want to work for that man and I said that to the person who who I was watching Clockwork Orange with I want to work for that man and I did (laughs) (laughs) for a very long time as it happened he could be heaven or hell, wherever you found yourself, mm-hmm. whether on, on the set or off it, or mm-hmm. you know, s- socially or, or any way. Anyway. I was very aware that he was an innovator. I knew that about him just mm-hmm. by looking at 2001. Uh, I'd never seen a film, never seen an American film or a film that was made by an American where they had the courage for the first 20 minutes not to have a single line of dialogue. That was the first thing that struck me about 2001. Mm -hmm. I thought, my God, it's been 20 minutes, and there hasn't been a word, and yet you're following the story, Mm -hmm. you know. When I was working on Barry Lyndon, you kind of thought, well, here's a guy who is doing stuff very different, and there was nothing else like it being made. So when I actually saw the film, which I saw for the first time inside a cinema of about 2,000 people, was press there and Mm -hmm. everything, do you know, I never thought about anything particularly. I just sat there and watched it, and I thought, my God, this is just beautiful. It's fantastic. I had exactly the same feeling as I'd had when I watched 2001 and Club Mm -hmm. Orange. I just thought, this is amazing. It's an experience. Mm -hmm. You're inside it. The story of 2001, a space odyssey, begins on the moon. On to show the opening days of the exploration of our solar system. It explores man's place in the universe and his position in the order of cosmic intelligence.
1: Clavius Base supposedly housed, according to the novel, 1100
3: men. 1100 at Clavius? Wow. Yeah, that would be a little city. And you can see from the concept art, there, there's trails of, of lights and because um, all we
1: really get to see is space bus, mm-hmm. and then we get to see Monolith Station, and there's like one guy, I guess, like right. yeah. <laughs> holding down the flight pad, like yeah. <laughs> didn't, the other guy's didn't even the check to see, like didn't even give a call sign or anything, just like stares angrily at someone landing at the base. Nobody else showed up to work in that it. <laughs> do you he think was... the Do you think the Monolith has already taken hold of this guy? Like <laughs> he's
3: already he's he been was the subject. first to find
1: it. He's just like this is old news for me. I'm yeah. I'm at a higher intelligence quotient than all all of you now and I I I am sick and tired of this (laughs) I'm getting paid minimum wage yeah his his civil
3: unrest led to them leaving him on the moon base when they abandoned it (laughs) instead (laughs) of allowing him to bring his uh, workers unite mentality back to earth
0: (laughs) once on the moon pod shaped vehicles of very light construction will be used for transportation
1: apparently a clavia space you need to have your passport visa medical certificate transportation permit and weight declaration immediately available upon your person i wonder how much your weight changes depending on how much you sip
3: on the flight Mm, many carrots and french fries you sip Mm,
1: negligible (laughs) especially if you evacuate um, (laughs) yeah it's like a wrestler trying to make weight (laughs) exactly <laughs> Had that big movement, big sweat beforehand. Yeah. Welcome to Clavius Base, U.S. Astronautical Engineering Corps, 1994. Wow, established in
3: 1994 by the U.S. Astronautical Engineering Corps. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. So it's probably got some dust on it mm-hmm.
3: at this point. And broken in so that the uh, initial uh, bugs and things have been worked out. Mm-hmm. I guess they've already probably got a good system, good rhythm. Um with eleven hundred you say eleven hundred souls in the bank eleven hundred what do you think the like how much do you would you imagine that is science versus um labor mm
1: i'd say <clears throat> one third science two thirds labor because that would be a lot of a to upkeep yeah yeah absolutely now i manage i <clears throat> i imagine. Uh, with all the experiments going on and the just incredible extreme situation of being on a outer world, essentially, even though it's a moon. Uh, no, it's a lot of upkeep. And you're going to have a lot of uh, routine maintenance just checking, you know, if the hatch seals correctly mm-hmm. or the... Uh, door relays functioning like it the science experiments alone would probably have such a power draw that i bet the power station on the the base is like a main engineering priority mm-hmm. trying to keep everything you know fully functional so I, I imagine they're using a combination of solar and some kind of fuel source couldn't be purely solar not nuclear you think It it might be
3: but they would have to bring over all of the...
1: Now, what they would right. typically do with an RTG like that is put it somewhere very far away from the base and run a essentially a huge extension cable from that to the base.
3: So if anything goes on, you're separated. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I think, it, even though this is still fictional, I think that's how Andy Weir uh, describes it in The Martians. They use the RTGs as a battery source that they bury into the ground away from the base to keep the nuclear uh, radioactivity away from humans or anything I don't know what kind of animals that might be on Clavius space That <laughs> doesn't really describe but <clears throat> I, I imagine they probably don't um, don't allow support animals on <laughs> clavia space
3: you can you can't have your support chicken <laughs> however would that be an issue with waste without having a biosphere that has
1: a diverse cycle of life well now we're getting into some earth dome what is it called what's biodome based on
3: oh um, um
1: i just watched like a whole documentary about this really? it's wild because uh they were supposed to be sealed in there for an entire year they did have to unseal it twice once for a medical emergency and the second time was because um uh, the oxygen level had dipped so badly that they had to introduce fresh oxygen into the lab. A lot of public minds thought that it was a complete failure, but really it was a first experiment of its kind. And as any scientist knows, uh, an unpredicted outcome is always a very important part of building onto the next experiment. So I imagine at this point, considering that they had perfected the balance of a habitable biome that there would be composting most likely interesting because you do need small microbial creatures to break down waste and refuse Mm -hmm. which can be used to fertilize and and grow more uh, nutritious foods so i imagine that clavius base has a waste extrusion system that goes into a composting facility that goes into the farming facility all of this is purely speculation of course but they would then have maybe a greenhouse building that they would use to they may not even need like a greenhouse they could just have artificial lighting good fresh water there's tons of water on the moon um they would be able to vent any kind of Harmful gases into the atmosphere because there would be basically no repercussion for doing so. Like if there was a high concentration of nitrogen or um, oxygen, uh, plants tend to, you know, give off. But
3: how would you do? You think that any of that is kind of a, a an mo for the future for Artemis, say decades down the line? Hmm.
1: I doubt it. (laughs) Because obviously all those resources are going to go to try and make that happen on Mars, I suppose. I see see Artemis becoming purely just a rotationally staffed waypoint for outer planetary missions. It's just not not sustainable yet.
3: Would they have a Howard Johnson's? That's the question. (laughs) You could at least have the video phone and. In the bathroom, we'll
1: be lucky if we get a, a Walgreens. <laughs>
3: yeah, which is bad because the sinus headaches you're gonna have, probably some drainage issues, tons of deco- decompression issues. Yeah, not to mention no dos for uh, the time changes
1: or or Dramamine. Well, you're also gonna be existing on a different time frame than Earth, just slightly, but. And with that change.
3: In in your whole diurnal rhythms on the moon Mm -hmm. with the
1: sun acting in a whole different way on you. Where the moon's tidally locked. I think we would try to exist on like a meridian line. And that way we could distribute heat and cool temperatures Mm -hmm. evenly. That's going to be a difficult target to hit, I feel like, um, as far as like an orbital mission. But I'm sure Mm -hmm. we'll work out the mechanics for that yeah (laughs) I am not an astrophysicist (laughs) (laughs) also
3: position wise you have the incredible shot after the the astronauts have touched it and it hasn't gone off when they touched it it touches it it goes off after they say cheese and then when the deafening shriek occurs then we cut to that majestic shot looking up looking up at the monolith and the crescent of the earth Mm. Above it. And the shadow of the moon on it. Earthrise,
1: as they call it in that famous photograph. Yes. What that scene evoked for me was almost like the monolith, obviously a beacon. It was showing us almost like a triangulation of its signal source. <laughs> like that, it was probably showing us, without us really knowing at Jupiter. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they really could have like made that right really a thing necessarily but it it doesn't really seem one of those meaningless scenes where a character just turns to the sky out of agony or something like that no I think it it was really like a geo position like the sound is being extruded from this source and we look up and at, at that position, maybe out there in the heavens,
3: Jupiter. And from a cosmological perspective, too, it, it's almost the, the type of alignment locking in that is the kind of thing that the druids were celebrating its own hinge. Yeah. Giant blocks, <clears throat> all
1: kinds like- of celestial activity. So they were tracking eclipses, they were tracking planetary alignments. Um, They were also tracking planetary transits. Fantastic. Mm. When they go across the sun.
3: it It stands to reason that the monolith on Earth would have been planted in the same type of space. Do you think that the Earth monolith was also deliberately buried and happened to appear? Or do you think that it one night appeared where the apes already were? Mm. because I that's think the it, way it looks in the movie uh, the way
1: it looks is like it had just crashed into the ground there in my head canon I feel like it had been there waiting waiting for the opportune time, waiting for the right species for it to speak to waiting to get that, that signal of intelligence and upon seeing the task the problem that Moonwatcher had come across where he wants to protect his tribe he wants to protect them from the jaguar that he wants to protect them from the other uh, hominid tribe in that moment he was really questioning his surroundings and what he had at hand and what he could use and The monolith may have activated knowing, Mm. like, Moonwatcher is ready. Maybe not necessarily to that
2: specific intent, but but
1: it could be an impetus for the monolith to divulge its secrets. A level of
3: intelligence is the trigger.
1: Yeah. To awaken it. At least in my mind. Mm -hmm. And because it could have been, what if it were squid? What if it were, you know, like... Uh, shovel tusk rhinoceros i mean it could it could have been any it could have been anything Mm -hmm. and pouring all that information into him could have made him evolve but Mm -hmm. to what point they may have seen like a dominating kind of organism in a situation where with the aid of heightened intelligence could become a master of its environment not just the dominant predator but a pure master of its environment and that may be what it was seeking out and the fact that there's one on the earth and one on the moon and one of jupiter these are stepping stones stepping stones for humanity
3: and the last time is when you eat it you go through the wormhole you're in another dimension and now you're being studied under the looking glass mm-hmm. existing only in your memories and illusions and time ceases to be. It's a genius way for Kubrick and Clark to have their cake and eat it too, because they didn't have to decide whether it was going to be a bipedal, you know, hominid type of alien intelligence, or whether it was going to be a squid-based, jelly-based, uh, fog-based, yeah, cephalopod, bacterium, whatever it could be. Yeah. yeah, it was about the level of intelligence, or maybe even the the. The type of intelligence that we have in common, that was the link that set it off, that made us the interesting species that allowed us to evolve
1: into the dominant controllers. The creativity of man. The ability, the open-mindedness, because even with intelligence, creativity can be stifled. And the inability to evolve an idea or build on ideas that are less pragmatic for sustaining a society and and more for self-sustaining a culture that could be more interesting to this Mm -hmm. outer being Um, because there's plenty of examples in this world alone where animals are incredibly intelligent and have heightened senses and have more preternatural abilities than we do but they don't paint they don't sculpt they don't make films they don't you know uh, doodle in notebooks it's it's a very human thing and i think the the human intelligence the human intelligence was the catalyst for the monolith
3: because the one thing in our evolution that has been the key to this whole thing getting this far has been adaptability adaptability incites creativity because you out of necessity of being the necessity being
1: the mother invention right and necessity used to just really affect evolution and this would take millions of years hundreds of thousands of years for even the slightest change to be made and the fact that a species could have progeny that started out at a very basic level and within their own lifetime advance to a point past their original creators. Like that's something that is not witnessed in any other organism that we know of. And now we're making drastic
3: changes for um, and against our species at an alarmingly increasing rate that we really can't even keep up with evolutionarily. So we rely on each other more now than ever, and we need each other now more than ever in order to make this thing work and move to the next level so that we, too, can get to that next benchmark. Ah! (laughs) Oh, one other thing about the... Yeah, um, because the medium is the message. Marshall McLuhan was right about 2001, even if he didn't know it, because... The, the monolith, even if it's not the psychedelic television set affecting the, the the membrane, then the brain, you are having, in this version, what it turns out in the book and the movie, something which is of the dimensions of 1 by 4 by 9, which in itself is a mathematical key and a signifier, as well as a an answer, maybe in the fashion of Douglas Adams in answer to a question we haven't asked yet. The one on Earth and the one on the Moon, which are classified as TMA0 and TMA1, are both about 11 feet long. Hmm. TMA2, at uh, Jupiter, is 2 kilometers long. Excuse me? <laughs> but the ratio of the rectangular area itself is one by four by nine. I gotcha. This is that for eleven I didn't know if there was nine. some kind
1: of like scaling factor going on. Yeah, there. I
3: don't know. I guess the fact that eleven feet versus two kilometers, yeah, eleven feet versus two kilometers. I don't know. But the ratio of one by four by nine is significant. These are the numbers which have mathematical significance, mm. being the squares of the first three integers.
1: Oh. One, three, one, two, three, one, four, nine, or one, three, nine, yeah. Huh,
3: huh. Which is obviously retroactively placed into the story after they turned it into a pack of cigarettes.
1: (laughs) When it wasn't going to be the the pyramid.
3: Yeah, the dodecahedron or whatever it was. I could have been
1: cool with a Bucky Ball, maybe. A Bucky Ball? Mm hmm. What's a buckyball? I think it's a dodecahedron.
3: Oh, really? I think so. Oh, I thought it was like some sort of Ohio sport. Yeah, bucke- buckeye ball is what I said. <laughs> I could be mistaken. I have a buckeye. I have a buckeye right here. Actually. Do you? Oh, yeah. that's right. I really do. Just for our the visual reference for our audio podcast. Yeah, got these at the falls. Nice little falls at the Smoky. Oh, wonderful! Well, that's got some interesting dimensions. That's certainly not uh, smooth. It's got oh, a little, no. kind of... a little divots. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it very well could model for one of the California raisins. I think this would be the baritone.
1: It's a <laughs> a truncated icosahedron. <laughs> I've been me. called that before. <laughs> not a dodecahedron, but yeah, buckyballs. It's um.
3: Oh it's those things that you can squish in and out the plastic ones that collapse in and out with the hinges that look like um, jungle gyms but they're 20 in the
1: dark. It's 20 hexagons and 12 pentagons. Wow And it resim- resembles a soccer ball. That's a hell of a state department. Buckminster fuller-ing, that's what it's called
3: <laughs> What it's actually named after Buckminster Fuller. That's amazing. When you said that it sounded like a like a verb like you've been Buckminster fullering. We'll have no more of this Buckminster Fullering around here.
1: It is named after Buckminster Fuller. Wow. The guy that created geodesic structures. That's incredible. Well,
3: there's a soccer ball on that picture. Okay. Wow.
1: Yeah, it it was, um, I think it was a theoretical carbon structure. Uh And then they found that it was, that we were capable of formulating it.
3: So next time I'm out kicking the soccer ball around I'm going to say I'm I'm off to go buckminster Fullering. Anyway, I'll let sorry you know how I, that goes. I, I, dodecahedron just got me You're on 12 that. years when I do that. <laughs> That's fantastic. What we really needed was a buckyball. Was it, you know, this is the great alarm system of the extraterrestrials was a buckyball oh yeah, you know, the they've apes, gone too far <laughs> see this they see this geodesic dome it's a jungle gym so they start climbing it mm-hmm, you know, and they evolve their upper body strength and their
1: arms and they take over man and knock over the uh, statue of liberty I thought
3: you were going to say knock over the
1: Seven Eleven. oh well that was the first step statue, <laughs> statue of liberty tomorrow exactly. 7-Eleven tonight <laughs> <laughs>
3: Another incredible thing about that set to me is how they're able to simulate lunar weightlessness.
1: The the gravity looks right. Did they slow it down a little bit? I think they did. That makes sense. But just a little bit, too. Just a little bit. Just, just enough. Because, again, none of this had happened yet. Um, the other thing I really liked was when Moonbus was landing. Did you see all the <laughs> dust blow away from the landing pad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lunar surface is dusty as all get out is there
3: any discussion in the book about the length of time between when because it's 94 all right so seven so that so this base has been there for seven years before they discovered it so they were digging there was a, a substantial depth that they had to get to before they reached it then
1: just read that last that last passage there
3: after three million years of darkness, TMA-1 had greeted the lunar dawn. So they added a million years in the movie. Huh. Interesting, right? That is interesting. Huh.
1: I wonder, yeah. Wonder I wonder if why. that was a miscommunication. I wonder if that was like an Australopith, like...
3: Oh. They adjusted it for the time. Mm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Maybe so, because originally we were talking, yeah, much later. Man.
1: Interesting. Very. Novels, people read them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And if you want
3: to add your two cents, please, uh, it doesn't cost two cents. Not at we we'll take it if you got it. You can tweet us at SpacePodacy. Email us at SpacePodacy2001 at gmail.com. Visitor Facebook group. Come to find to, us. Go to spacepolicy.com. We'd love to hear from you. Where are you? <laughs> We're lonely. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting here on this moon
1: base. We've been sitting here. For There's only one guy on the monolith base. And he's fried. He doesn't even want to talk to us. He's been
3: clocked out for decades.
1: The Pepsi machine doesn't even work here. The light's out. Like, what's going on? All the, all the Pepsis were flat anyway. I don't even drink Pepsi. I drink Coke. <laughs> all
2: right, everybody member of our crew has been eaten. There's an alien on board this ship, and it's one of us. I'm going to ask a question to which only an Earthling would know the answer. But Captain, we're from all over the world. We will not all know the answer, right, now That's That's right. This If you're from Earth, you'll know. Write down the name of the world's
0: most popular soft drink.
1: Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, I knew it, I know, you know, I mean, it flew out of my mind, I had a little brain cramp, that's all, I'm over 40, you don't know because you're young yet, you don't know how that happens to you, the other day I forgot my wife's name, Mildred, there, I'm looking around for my car keys. a half hour, they're in my
2: hand, that ever happen to you, huh? Captain, I'm sorry about eating Henderson.
1: From Flavia Space, this is Brad, and I'm Les, signing off.